Well, 2 Corinthians is not Paul yelling at the Corinthians, as was 1 Corinthians to some degree. This is him justifying his ministry and telling them how much better they're doing since he heard back after the first letter was delivered. In chapter 11, he's getting over, he's just gone through a list of things he called foolish, where he talked about all the things that were his advantages and all the things that he'd gone through to prove that he was indeed an apostle. But now he's going to say, I'm done with that foolishness. If I'm going to glory, I'm going to glory of the things which concern my infirmities. Verse 31, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forever, knoweth that I lie not. He takes a strong, almost an oath to say, you know, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. But what is this about infirmities? Infirmities. We all have some. When Jesus was in the world ministering, among the things that he did was to deal with the infirmities of the people with whom he came in contact. In Matthew 8, 16, the gospel says, When the even, the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, possessed with demons. They had evil spirits in them. Remember King Saul back in the Old Testament times had demons that possessed him to try to kill David, among other things, throw a spear at him. David playing his music could ease Saul's demon possession. Jesus just spoke. He cast out the spirits with his words and healed all that were sick. So there's two different things here. There's sicknesses and there's demon possession. I think they are different and distinct things. We don't deal as much in our day with demon possession as far as we are aware, but we may be dealing with it more than we know. In other parts of the world today, demon possession is still a very real and present thing. But in our culture, Satan has had his way more and more with just a counterfeit of the gospel message. In other parts of the world, he tries to keep people lost by scaring them. You don't offer sacrifice to my demons, you're going to die. And maybe so they did. In our country, he tries to keep people lost by making them mostly religious or just plain ignoring, ignoring religion. He says, yes, it's fine. You can be a good church member, go to church all the time. Give them money. Just don't trust Jesus as your Savior. Teaching righteousness by good works, that keeps people lost. And Satan's purpose is not to make you bad. It's to keep you lost if you're lost. And once you're saved, to keep your mouth shut so you don't tell other people how to be saved. But in Jesus' day, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast the spirits out with his word and healed all that were sick. And so doing, the author, the gospel writer Matthew says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Esaias the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. An aspect, not the only aspect, but one aspect of what Jesus did when he died on the cross for sin was take our infirmities, bear our sicknesses. <clears throat> Excuse me. The verse in Isaiah just referred to is Isaiah 53, verse 4. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he, this servant of God that is predicted and prophesied here, the arm of the Lord, Isaiah 53 is all full of him, he has borne our griefs 
and carried our sorrows, and we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes. We are healed. We esteemed him afflicted, but he bore our infirmities and bear our sicknesses with his stripes we are healed in the hebrew language this word in verse 4 afflicted carried our afflictions is actually the word there carried our sorrows that's the word afflictions it is the hebrew word ah great coli or something like that c h o l i y colie Malady, anxiety, calamity, or sickness. He carried ours. The New Testament we just quoted from, just saw the reference from in Matthew, he took our infirmities. The New Testament written in Greek, the word infirmity is asthenia. It's a noun form of stheneo, stheno-o. It's got an A on the front of it, which means it's negative. So it's without what? Without bodily vigor, without strength. Our infirmities, it's just exactly what it sounds like. We're infirm. We're not firm, we're infirm. We're not strong, we're without strength, without bodily vigor. We go on to another one of the Gospels. Luke in chapter 5 wrote about this, about Jesus again. It came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy pretty ugly disease, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, if, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. He recognized Jesus as one who could cleanse him from this incurable disease. Incurable. Once you got it, it was a death sentence. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. Jesus charged him in these words, Tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. It's unusual. This had never been done before to my knowledge. It's not in the Bible anywhere, but Moses in the law wrote about if a man had leprosy and somehow was cleansed of it, was healed of it, that there was a specific offering to make, go to the priest, offer an offering because of the cleansing that they'd already had. Jesus says, you go show yourself to the priest, be a testimony to them, offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. He's establishing his credentials by this healing of the leper. As long as the leper does what Jesus tells him, the priest will have Jesus' testimony that he really is the promised one. He told him, don't tell anybody except the priest, but so much more, so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. He said, take me, take me, take me. Well, go, go just down the, maybe a page or two to the right to chapter 7 and verse 21. We'll get there momentarily. Whoops, too far. Verse 21, this is page uh, 1084 if you're using a Schofield Bible like those in the pew in the church auditorium. Page 1084, Luke 721, still in answer to the men who came from John the Baptist, 
disciples of John the Baptist came to ask Jesus. They said, John the Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And he heard the question, and on that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits. Unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way, tell John what things you've seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. He was using the taking of the afflictions and the infirmities and the casting out of demons and the restoring of sight. All those things are evidences demonstrating thoroughly that he was the promised one that God had said he would send to Israel, the Redeemer. The word infirmity occurs again over in Romans chapter 8. This is page 1202. He says, get us a little context here. He says, the whole, in verse 22, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Sin has ruined this that God had originally made and created very, very good. Not only they, the creatures, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even believers, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves. We're not there yet. Have you noticed we're not actually in our new body yet? <laughs> I've got a little weather-related groaning within myself. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. We're getting better than just a new soul and spirit. We're getting a new body. We are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. If a man sees it, why does he yet hope for it? We've got to wait. If we hope that for that we see not, then we do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. We know not what we should pray for as we ought. We don't know how to pray sometimes. The Spirit, God's Holy Spirit himself, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, there's some churches which have fallen into the error of speaking with all kinds of noises that make no sense and have no meaning and say that that's the groanings of the Spirit which cannot be uttered. I'd like to suggest that the Bible, when referring to these groanings, says they cannot be uttered. So I would ask, why are you uttering what you call those groanings? Don't utter them. They cannot be uttered. Groanings that cannot be uttered. On page 1208, again, just a few more pages over, Romans 15, Romans 15, verse 1, here's infirmities again. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now I think talking about relative strength in the church gatherings, we that are strong, we that understand, we that know how God has blessed us with every good thing, we ought to bear, we ought to put up with the infirmities of the weak. There's some people even in Paul's day, there were people that said, you know, you shouldn't eat meat or meats offered to idols or you shouldn't do this or this or that or the other thing. And Paul knew the law had been nailed to the cross and none of those things mattered anymore. Keep the Sabbath, don't keep the Sabbath. 
he said, the ones that are strong know that those things have passed away, but the weak, among the believers, some of the weak are hurt when the believers who are strong allow themselves these things, these questionable things. So in chapter 15, verse 1, he says, we that are strong, we, the, we really know what's all, it's all right, ought to bear, ought to carry, put up with the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. That's how you decide. That's how you decide what you allow yourself to do. How's it going to affect the weaker brother? Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to, every, to edification. Build up your, your brother. Build up your neighbor. Even Christ pleased not himself. Even Christ pleased not himself. We ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Going back quickly to... 2 Corinthians, we'll look at chapter 12, which is page 1238, and verse 5. Paul having, we're going to get to what he said just before this, but he says, of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. Skip down to verse 9, he says, the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. That's a powerful thing. Some of us feel like we can handle it. God says, when you realize you can't handle it, I'll take care of the need. Paul says, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for me, for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, my weaknesses, my lack of strength, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, Paul goes on, I take pleasure in infirmities, my lacks of strength, the weaknesses, the things I can't do, in reproaches, stuff people does to me, necessities, when I go without some things, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. I take pleasure in those things that are not in themselves pleasing. For when I am weak, then am I strong. It is the power of Christ. God says my strength is made perfect in weakness. At the end of the verse where we started, he says... Verse 31 of chapter 11, I lie not. God knows I lie not. It's a solemn oath. What he's about to tell happened a long while before, and there's no corroborating witness for the Corinthians. What happened in this next passage here, well, before we go over to the chapter 12 passage, he says, don't forget Damascus. Don't forget Damascus. And Maybe we know about this from Luke writing it down in the book of Acts in chapter 9. But the Corinthians didn't have the book of Acts. <laughs> and so Paul's going to tell them about when he was first saved. Where was he on the road to when he was first saved? The road to Damascus. You drive across the Courtney Campbell Causeway. I think they've renamed it now, but the little crossroad out there that goes to the island in the west side of the bay, used to be called Damascus Road. The Clearwater Christian College named it that, but I think the new owners changed the name. But Damascus was the destination, the old city of Damascus. Paul was 
going to as the persecutor Saul. When the Lord Jesus met him on the road and, and he trusted in him and got his commission to go to the Gentiles. But he went on into Damascus. And here he tells a story that is not spelled out even in Acts. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas or Aretas, the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. There's a governor under a king named Aretas. The governor guarded the city with a military garrison trying to arrest Paul. Paul spent some time in Damascus after he was first saved, learning and preaching and preaching and learning. <clears throat> and through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Through a window in a basket. If you've got a copy of my notes, there's a little bit of explanation here. <clears throat> Areatas was a king of Arabia. I, don't, I think I spelled Arabia wrong. There's an S there that doesn't belong there. King of Arabia, of the family called Ghassani, I, who for hundreds of years ruled over Syria from the city of Damascus. <coughs> Excuse me. This Aretas, in the time of Herod the Tetrarch, Herod the Tetrarch, we know about him from the Gospels, gave his daughter to the king Herod to wife. He was the wife of Herod. She was the wife of Herod, the daughter of this king Aratas. But then Herod preferred and took his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. And for that, John the Baptist condemned him. And for that, Herod executed John the Baptist. But it made Aratas kind of unhappy because his daughter had been fired from the job of wife of the king. Why was Aratas? King here instead of Herod? Somebody said that the emperor Caligula, the Roman emperor Caligula, did not like Herod Antipas, the successor to Herod of the Tetrarch. Herod Antipas was not favored by the emperor, and so he fired him from being king in Damascus and gave it to Aratas, who didn't like Herod Antipas at all because he had fired his daughter from being his wife. Well, anyway, this governor under Aratas guarded the city, kept the city with a garrison, shut up the city to deliver the persecutor Saul, who is now the believer Saul, into the hands of the Jews who actually were taking counsel to kill him. The Jews were after him too. In the book of Acts, chapter 9, page 1161 in the Schofield Bible, we have the other side of this story. He's in Damascus, and he's been dealt with by the man Jesus sent to him, Ananias, went into the house, put his hands on him, and baptized him. He came, received his sight. We get to verse 19, and he had, been, had received meat. He was strengthened, and he was there for a while, certain days with the disciples at Damascus. And straight away he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. All that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem? And he come here with the intent that he could bring Christian, those believer things, bound to the chief priests. 
Verse 22, but Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this Jesus of Nazareth is very Christ. And after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. We can fix this. <laughs> but their lying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him, that garrison we heard of. Verse 25, then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket, just the same as it was recorded in 2 Corinthians at the end of chapter 11. It was in a basket. It's kind of a humiliating experience. He escapes the threat of death in the city that he had come to take first for the Jews and then for the believers in Jesus, but he gets out of it. On we go. On we go to chapter 12 in 2 Corinthians. We've just been here, but let's look at it here. Paul says, I don't think I should be glorying in how great I am. How great I am since Jesus... No, that's not right. How rich I am from him. It is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And then he tells a story as though it wasn't about him and yet we believe it certainly was the story of his own event 14 years earlier in the mission journey with Barnabas, the first missionary journey. He says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knows. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. I knew a man caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, verse 3, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now he's talking about himself. What happened outside the town of, I think it was Lydia, when Paul had been there with Barnabas preaching and they dragged him outside and they stoned him to death. They stoned him to death. And yet God gave him his life back. He got up and went on to the next town and kept on preaching. But he, it says he died in the book of Acts. And here he's referring to somebody. And it, it just seems to me and to most commentators that he's talking about himself. Otherwise, how could he tell this story? He says, I don't know if I was in the body or just soul and spirit. I was in Christ. And he was caught up to the third heaven. That's where God is. The first heaven is this heaven of the birds in the air and the clouds. The second heaven, the Jews called it, was where the stars and the planets were moving. But the third heaven was the abode of God beyond and in a different, if you will, a different dimension than the first and second heaven. He was caught up to the third heaven, verse 2 said, and verse 4, it says he's caught up to paradise. Now, they did call the Garden of Eden in its original unfallen state a paradise, but it's not the Garden of Eden. They, I believe, would refer to the place of the dead in the heart of the earth. The Old Testament calls Sheol, the New Testament Hades. Part of it was a place of torment. We see described in Luke chapter 16, a rich man died without the Lord and went to the place of torment and couldn't get out. But another man 
who was a beggar, Lazarus in that story, died. And it says he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now, there's not a sign over the door in, in that part of Sheol or Hades that says Abraham's bosom. Abraham is a man, a believer. God saved him. He said to him, the, the, it was of Abraham said that he believed God and he, God counted it to him for righteousness. And that's the same way we are saved when we believe God. He counts our faith in the Jesus event, the Jesus suffering for our sins. He counts our faith in him for righteousness. I believe when Jesus died, his body was buried in a tomb, a rich man's tomb, Joseph of Arimathea. But his soul and spirit didn't stay in the tomb. His soul and spirit went to the place of the dead, as did everybody who died. And like Lazarus in Luke 16, Jesus, when he died, did not go to the place of torment. He did not suffer anything of the torment of hell, whether Hades or the eternal lake of fire. He did not suffer those things. But he went instead to the place where, where saved people went before he rose from the dead. In the book of Ephesians, it says when he got up, he led captivity captive. He took I think all the believers from Adam on all the way to the last one, the thief on the cross that died with him, every one of them, soul and spirit, had gone to the place of the dead and Jesus emptied it, took the believers, soul and spirit, with him back up. He rose from the dead and spent 40 days on the earth, but when he went back to heaven, he took them with him. And now what was paradise in the heart of the earth? is paradise in the third heaven. Paul says this man he knew was caught up to the third heaven, and that was paradise. And there, this man, I think it's Paul himself, heard, verse 4, heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. He got more revelation than he could handle, than he could tell. Of such a one will I glory, but of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. Though I be, would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. Now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seemeth, seem, seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. So Paul says, I heard this amazing stuff in heaven, in the third heaven, in paradise. It's not lawful for me to tell you all of it lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So this thorn in the flesh says it was given, Paul says, I received it, God gave it to me for his purpose so that I wouldn't get the big head lest I should be exalted above measure, because I've gotten so many revelations from God himself. And yet he calls it, although it's from God, he calls it the messenger of Satan. God uses his adversary Satan any way he wants to, any time he wants to. And he did with Paul the same way he did with Job in the Old Testament, let Satan buffet him, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, to beat me around, lest I should be exalted above measure. 
It's time to quit glorying, quit all the foolishness. For this thing I besought my Lord thrice that I might, it might depart from me. I said, can we be done with this? And God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, I just hang on to this, this thorn in the flesh, this buffeting that I've gotten. I'll glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, for that when I am weak, then am I strong. He says, it's time to quit glorying. I'm done with this foolishness. It's not the best thing. It's not expedient. It's not a good thing to glory. Now he says, I'm going to come, verse 1 again in chapter 12, to visions and revelations of the Lord. And he describes that, then, that death experience. But why did Paul think he would get, why did he get visions and revelations of the Lord? We need to look back again at Acts chapter 9, page 1160, and verse, verse 3, early in the chapter. This is the familiar story of Paul on the road to Damascus. This is just Luke telling it. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So Jesus says, you're having troubles here. You're, you're going the wrong way when you're persecuting my people. He retells this story much the same way two more times. Once in chapter 22 of Acts, Paul gives a testimony in front of the, the accusers. And in chapter 26, he tells it again. And again, it starts kind of the same Get down to verse 16. He's talking about his, starts in verse 12, telling about his conversion. And there in verse 14, why do you persecute me? It's hard to kick against the pricks. Verse 15, he says, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. But starting in verse 16, we have information we didn't have in chapter 9 or in chapter 22. Jesus didn't stop saying, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. His words continued as they're recorded here in chapter 26. But rise, stand upon thy feet. I, Jesus, have appeared unto thee for this purpose. I've got a purpose for you, Paul, to make thee a minister, a servant, and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the people, that would be the Jews, and from the Gentiles. And then he said something that shocked Paul to his core. Unto whom now I send thee, to the Gentiles. What? And he kept going. To open their eyes, the Gentiles' eyes. To turn the Gentiles from darkness to light. To turn the Gentiles from the power of Satan unto God. That the Gentiles may receive forgiveness of sins. And the Gentiles may receive an inheritance 
among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. There's the fuller commission of Paul by Jesus on that road before they ever got to Damascus. And he finishes off here in Acts 26. He says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient under the heavenly vision. Returning to chapter 9, let me see if I can do this. Returning to chapter 9, in verse 6, he said, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and you'll be told thee what thou must do. Get up and go into the city. In chapter 18 of Acts, we have another vision from the Lord to Paul. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not, where is he in chapter 18? In chapter 18, he has come to, verse 1, came to Corinth. He came to Corinth and he's reasoning in the synagogue and persuading people. And they oppose themselves and blaspheme. And he says, I'm going to the Gentiles. And he went out and went to next house over, Justice's house. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue in Corinth, believed on the Lord with all his house. He was immediately fired as chief ruler of the synagogue. But many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. And this is the Corinthians that Paul is writing this letter to about the revelations he's received. So now in Corinth, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. I have much people in this city. Don't you suppose that would have encouraged Paul to stay there? It says in verse 11, he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Boom, Paul says, this is the place to work, Paul. God said so to me last night, he said so. We're going to go on just past 2 Corinthians. The next book over is Galatians, page 1242. In verse 12 of chapter 1, Paul makes this reference to his gospel message. Verse 11, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, I got this from Jesus himself. My message is pure Jesus. In the next chapter, he talks about needing to go down, go up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, took Titus with him, and he says in verse 2, I went up by revelation. I didn't just decide to go. I had a revelation from God to go to Jerusalem. Tell them the gospel that you're preaching the Gentiles. Do it. I had a revelation that said, I got to go. I got to go to Jerusalem to tell them about the gospel I've gotten from Jesus himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 40, just at the end of his discussion about marriage and the single state, and people staying unmarried, and that's all right. He says of a woman that's unmarried, she, if her husband's dead, she can marry whom she wants. But he said she's happier <coughs> if she just stays unmarried after my judgment. And then he says this, I think also that I have the Spirit of God. He is somewhat insisting that his 
his choice for such a person is from God. One of the commentators whose strength is the Greek language named Robertson, A.T. Robertson, said he insists he has the Spirit of God in the expression of his inspired judgment on this difficult, complicated, tangled problem of marriage. I wrote it in my notes so I can remember how to say it. We go back now to to, uh, chapter 12 and verse 1. We've been here, but we're going back here again. Chapter 12 and verse 1. Verse 2, I knew a man in Christ. That's himself. Verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. He's talking about himself. says he was caught up to the third heaven. Here in the notes, I'm catching up to where I already taught you a bit. Caught up to the third heaven. One of the commentators, Gill, says that's the seat of the divine majesty and the residence of the holy angels where the souls of departed saints go immediately upon their dissolution. And the bodies and souls of those who've been translated, caught up and raised already are, and where the glorified body of Christ is and will be until his second coming. And I said it's called third because the birds of the air are in the first heaven, the stars in the second heaven. In verse 4, caught up into paradise, the place of comfort. It was once in the heart of the earth, Matthew 12, 40. Jesus makes reference to this as he's talking about his time after the cross. As Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in a shallow grave. No, in the heart of the earth. That's where paradise was. Where Je- the notes go on, where Jesus' soul and spirit went when his body was in the grave, where Abraham had been, to which the beggar Lazarus went, and we refer to Luke 16, 22, of which Job spoke longingly. Did you know that as early as Job, one of the wisest men who was the on the losing end of a gamble that God made with the devil, that let the devil beat him, in Job chapter 3, talking about, I wish I was dead. Why died I not from the womb? Why didn't I give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Verse 13, For now, if I had died, should I have lain still and been quiet? I should have slept, should have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth or with princes that had gold who filled their houses with silver or as a hidden untimely birth I had not been, as infants which never saw the light. There, this place of the dead, there the wicked cease from troubling and there the weary be at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. Paradise. Job longed for paradise. David spoke about rejoining an inf- a one-year-old infant son that had just died in Second Samuel twelve twenty-three. He said, I would be able to go back. I will be able to go where he is, but I can't bring him back to me. Second Samuel 12, David's son, his illegitimate son that he stole from Uriah the Hittite's wife, (laughs) 
David's son, in chapter 12, verse 23, it says, David besought God for the child, and he fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And they wanted to get him food and get him up, but he wouldn't eat with them. It came to pass on the seventh day, David's fasting and doing without sleep and doing without food. For seven days praying, the child died. The servants of David feared to tell him the child was dead. They said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him. He wouldn't hearken unto our voice. How then will he fex himself if we tell him the child is dead? When David saw the servants whispered, he said, Child's dead. David said, Is the child dead? They said, Yes, dead. David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive, but when the child is dead, you get up and you eat. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious unto me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And in these words of David and the words of Job, I think we find great reassurance and comfort, I hope, that little children who die are in a place of comfort with the Lord. Those who have died before birth because of wicked abortion are with the Lord they're not innocent of sin. They're born of Adam. But Christ died for their sins. And God says, you're not, if you're not able to trust in me, you're with me. They're not accountable for their sins, and Jesus died for their sins. Once you become old enough to understand, then you must yourself trust in Jesus as your Savior because only those who believe in him have the righteousness of God put to their account. But these little ones who die... David said, where he is, I'm going to go there. I can't get him back to me, but I'll go to him. Isn't that good? I think that's good. When Jesus rose and ascended back to heaven, he led captivity captive, it says in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, in chapter 4, in verse 8. He saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. The one that descended into the lower parts of the earth not only rose from the grave, but now he's ascended into heaven. And when he ascended up on high, those that were in that place in the heart of the earth, the place called paradise, where Abraham and Job and David and his baby all were, Jesus took him with him. He led captivity captive. Why can't you find the Garden of Eden on the earth? There was a great flood. After the flood, the men of Noah's family who survived the flood used the names of the mountains and the rivers that they were familiar with from before the flood. They used Euphrates and Tigris and Ararat, but they were not the same mountains and they were not the same rivers. So a person that reads Genesis and says oh, there's four rivers goes out of the Garden of Eden here and here and here and here, we can find that thing. No, you can't. It was all changed by the great flood. 
but they use the names over again. So you're not going to find the Garden of Eden on the face of the earth unless it's the remnant of it under the debris left of the flood. That's a little silly to try to sort out in today's world stuff that was destroyed by the flood. Well, I'm out of time. I hope you were blessed by the idea that the lost, the, the physically lost infants and babies and unborn have the same place in our, our Lord's paradise as we do who have believed in Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and the, the time we take this morning to open it up and share it among ourselves. We do pray your Holy Spirit will continue to teach your word as we bring it back to mind again. And we are affected by it. And we have a message to deliver to people who don't know this about the assurance of heaven by the death of Jesus for those who put their trust in him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.